Our scripture reading today will be uh, Luke 24, 13 through 32. If you have a regular Bible that's in the uh, pew, it'll be on page uh, 1106, 1107. If you have a large print, it'll be on page 1642 and 1643. If you have an iPad or a phone, you're welcome to use that also. And again, this will be Luke 24, 13 through 32. Now the same day of them, two of them were going to the village called Emmanus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, What are you discussing? One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But he had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it's just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that these prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have, a have to suffer these things, and then enter His glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if, if He were going farther. But they urged Him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So He went in to stay with them, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scripture to us? In a time where kings and rulers were ruthlessly vying for dominance, and the common man was oppressed by the thumb of Rome, a disunified Israel held on to hope for their promised Messiah to rescue them. However, no one knew what to expect. Some expected a warrior who would crush his enemies with the sword. Some expected a king who would establish a government over all. Who came? No one expected. 
born a carpenter's son. This man was humble yet authoritative, unpredictable yet reliable, compassionate yet bold. The Messiah's entrance was not a warrior campaign which forced submission. It was an invasion, beginning in the hearts and the lives of those he encountered. This is the story of the true Messiah emerging amidst the pretenders. This is the story of Jesus turning the world on its head. This is the story of the King and his kingdom. Had all that time to turn my microphone on and didn't do it. All right. So today, as we've mentioned a couple times now, and, and you probably knew before you got here, is Easter Sunday, right? So that probably means that you've been getting stuff in the mail like I have about all the stuff that you know is going on at all the area churches. And, and this is one of those days that in our part of the country and really just across the country, lots of people get out and go to church. You know, some, I mean, Christians go to church, people that might be Christians go to church, people whose parents are Christians go to church, people who uh, want their kids to maybe hear about Christianity, they take their kids to church, and uh, people that want a free iPad take their kids to church. And uh, in fact, I got this one that uh, said, I'm not going to tell you which church, you know, but if you had chosen to go there today... You could have had inflatables, carnival games, hot dogs, chili, gumbo, fried Oreos and Twinkies. You're missing out. Oh, and they'll give you, uh, they're giving away Xboxes and uh, Playstations. Some of you, I see some of you reaching for your keys. But I want to tell you, this says that registration ended at 10 a.m. So you're too late anyway, you might as well stick around. Lots of people go to church today, and probably the thing that, hopefully the thing that most churches have in common on Easter Sunday is the gospel. But it's interesting that, you know, depending on which church you go to and which person you hear speaking, what you hear, the version of the gospel that you hear can be quite different. Uh, For instance, one version that uh, was especially common at one point, maybe less so today, is the, I would call it the fear tactic version of, hey, now you know you're a sinner and you're going to hell, but Jesus died for you so that you wouldn't have to go to hell. says so right here in my Bible, so this is your chance to repent and get right and get to heaven instead. There's that version, and then there's the version that's um, probably more popular nowadays, and, you know, it really focuses on the love thing. And, and now Jesus, he really loves you. He wants you to be happy. So that's why he died for you. And, you know, now all you got to do, it's, it's a free gift. It's called grace because it's just free. And you don't have to do anything. You just say, yeah, I'll take it. And then you're, everything's going to be just fine for you and yours. And those are kind of the two versions that you hear the most often and it's a shame because the gospel's so much better than that it's so much better than when we just it's not that there's no truth in either of those it's just that the gospel's more than that and when we when we reduce it to just uh, some religious fear tactics or or some feel good lovey-dovey theological terms then we're we're kind of missing the bigger point 
The original gospel, the reason it's called gospel is because that's what the first Christians called it. And the reason that they called it that was because that's what the Romans called it whenever Caesar did something great and he was coming back and they'd say, check out this gospel. Caesar just won a great victory. He's going to come back victorious. He's strengthened Rome. We're going to have a party when he comes back. Get ready. Or Caesar's issued this great decree, this new law that's going to make life better for all Romans. It's a great gospel. So that was the term. And they chose it because they wanted people to know about their new king and his new kingdom and the great victory that their king had won and how different it was from Caesar. It was controversial when they called it a gospel. So the gospel is about a king and his kingdom. And the gospel is about an unusual king and an unusual kingdom, completely upside down from any kingdom or king this world had ever known before. And one of the most unusual things about it all is the way this king took power, the way he took his throne. See, he died. Now, most stories about kings taking power don't start with they died. That's usually how they lost the power, right? But he died, and then he came back to life. He died, and then he came back to life. That's pretty unusual. That's a pretty unusual way to take your throne. And even as I say that, some of us in this room say, well, that, that's not so unusual. I, I grew up hearing that story. It's nothing new to me. I believe that with my whole heart, my whole life. And you've just had childlike faith like that. And you're blessed with that. But for a lot of us in this room, Christians and not, there's a, there's a part of us, either consciously or, or just beneath the surface, that, that wonders a little bit, did that happen? I mean, that was a long time ago. Can't, how, you know, how can we be sure? That sounds, you know, they, te- they teach us, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, I mean, it sounds kind of like a, a fantastical story. I mean, we've never heard of anyone dying before and then three days later raising back to life, which, by the way, is kind of the point, isn't it? I mean, if everybody did that, <laughs> it wouldn't be a big deal that Jesus did. Uh, so, of course, you know, it's, it's a little bit, it seems like a little bit of a stretch for our faith. And for too long... The church, by and large, in America has been answering the doubts, answering the questions with the answer, well, we know it happened because the Bible says so. So there you go. And that works in a society where everyone believes that this is a sacred book and that it is a reliable text. But in a world that we live in now, very much so, that they don't, the Bible says so is kind of a cheap answer. It, I mean, it doesn't really help many people because they're not even sure about that book. I used to believe that Jesus died and then rose again simply because the Bible said so. And I, I grew up in church hearing that and, and learning about this book that we call the Bible and, and learning that it was true. And so I just kind of took it on faith from those before me and those who mentored me and so forth. 
But I came to a point where that's no longer anymore the, the main reason I believe that it happened. And I want to talk to you today about why I believe that it happened. But I also want to suggest to you that if it happened, there's some things that go along with this. And you've got one of these cards. We pass one of these out every week. At some weeks it's a little bit different. But if you like writing something down, this is your chance. And, uh, I'm giving you all four blanks now, so that's kind of a giveaway, but <laughs> anyway. If it's true that Jesus resurrected, then it's true that he's a king. And if it's true that he's a king, you'd want to be in his kingdom. We'll see that statement again in a little while. But I want to suggest to you that if it's true that he resurrected, then the other things that he claimed and prophesied are probably also true. Because you don't get much more extraordinary than raising from the dead. So we're going to, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. We've been in this, we just started this series called The King and His Kingdom. And the whole point of it is just awakening us to the fact, to the reality that the gospel is, is a lot more real than we sometimes make it. Like those two versions that we looked at. That, that is, you know, it's a nice feel-good thing or a feel-bad thing, depending on which version of the gospel you hear. But the gospel of Jesus is so much more real and so much more pertinent to our lives than just a spiritual thing and some theological terms. And... Kingdom really drives at the heart of that. That there's actually a kingdom that he's bringing and that he wants us to be a part of and citizens of. And that really changes everything. And that's what we're looking at in this series and working on developing a kingdom mindset. And so today's focus is very narrow on, on how Jesus came to power and, and whether you know he really did live and uh, die and then raise back to life. But if you want to learn more about the kingdom, we're really going to dive into that deeper in the next few weeks. So I'd, uh, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to listen to the first message if you missed it on cypressstreet.org. But this is what we've been beginning to talk about. And today we look specifically at how this king took his throne. We read a, a fairly long passage of scripture about those two guys, followers who had been followers of Jesus. And they were leaving Jerusalem. They had come, doubtless, for the Passover Maybe they'd even followed Jesus there for the Passover in Jerusalem. Lots of Jews from all over the Roman Empire would come to Jerusalem for that most sacred of holidays, Passover. And what they were expecting when they got there was definitely not what ended up happening. And so as they leave after Passover to go back to their homes and to their jobs, these two men are are walking back together. And they're really confused. And they're dealing with a lot of doubts. What just happened? Here's what we thought was going to happen. What just happened? And now there's rumors that he's alive, that some disciples have seen him. How is that even possible? And and why would this even be all happening? And they just had a lot of questions. And Jesus comes along and meets them there. And he starts talking to them. and, And here's what they say to him. They say, we had hoped 
See, not knowing that this was Jesus walking with them. We had hoped that he, Jesus, was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Let me just kind of unpack this statement for us because uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot to us today as, it, as the statement meant back then to them. See, for them, they had been listening. It says they were disciples of Jesus. So they had been listening to him teach about this kingdom. I mean, that's when Jesus started his ministry, it said he went and began to teach about the kingdom. And when we read about all those parables and everything it had to do with the kingdom, he kept saying the kingdom is like this and the kingdom is like that. And they heard him talking about this kingdom. And they heard him speaking and teaching with an authority unlike any teacher they had heard before or any prophet they had read before. There was something different about him. And he had an authority also in just the miracles he performed. And all this led them to the conclusion that maybe this was the promised king that they read about in their scriptures. That's now our Old Testament. Maybe this was the guy that was going to save Israel again. And what that meant to them was overthrow Rome. I mean, to any Jew in that time period... The problem was Rome was in control of their nation and they were supposed to be God's people, not Rome's people. Their king was supposed to be God, not Caesar. And so they were desperate for this Messiah king that the prophets had prophesied about to come and redeem Israel, to throw off Rome, to reestablish the temple as the place of worship for God's glory to once again come upon and fill that temple And for God to reign his people as he promised through his prophets that he would do. And they thought this Jesus was going to be that guy. And probably never more than when he rode into Jerusalem a week before they were on this road to Emmaus. Just a few days prior they had watched him come in. Riding on the colt of a donkey which is an exact fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah. You can read it in chapter 9 verse 9. Describes the exact picture of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Just as they prophesied Israel's king would when God came to reign. So you can imagine they thought, this is it. This is the moment. It's all been working its way up to this. The crowds look at him. Look at the way that they're cheering him. And they're saying, blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna, God saves. And then you can imagine their confusion. As they're leaving Jerusalem, having watched their Messiah King, whom they thought was going to redeem Israel from the Romans, instead nailed to a cross by the Romans and killed. And then now there's this rumor about him being raised from the dead, but that just doesn't, none of it makes sense to them in their Jewish heritage mind of what they thought was going to happen. And Jesus comes alongside them and he starts encouraging their faith. And he starts clearing up their confusion and helping them with their doubts. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus spoke to them and said, Did not the Christ, and that word we talked about last week is just a royal title, not his last name, okay? Sometimes we use that as though it's his last name, but that's Christ, the title for the Messiah, literally the anointed one, essentially the king. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We don't know exactly what he said to them. Maybe he talked about the Exodus and the Passover and how that was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice he would have to make to deliver his people again. Maybe he talked about David and how David's reign as king was a foreshadowing of his own reign as king. Or how David's 22nd Psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? was the perfect prophetic picture of what he would have to suffer on the cross. Maybe he pointed out the prophets that spoke of God coming to reign as king and of a suffering servant. We don't know exactly what he said to them, but we know that he encouraged their faith. Because they said, did not our hearts leap within us as he opened the scriptures to us and explained things? And maybe today can be just the beginning of your own road to Emmaus experience. If you're struggling with doubts and things, I'm not going to be able to answer all your doubts, but maybe we can talk about something that maybe will at least get you on a path of being more certain than ever that this Jesus did in fact die and come back from the dead, that he is in fact a king with a kingdom. I mentioned before that my reason for believing this gospel, this gospel that Jesus came as God's royal son of God, that he taught about the kingdom, that he did miracles showing us what that kingdom would look like, the hope of that kingdom, that he died for our sins, that he rose again so that we could have life. My reason for believing all that is more than just the Bible says so. So let me explain a little bit. See, my reason for believing that is because eyewitnesses saw it happen. Several of them wrote it down And many of them gave their lives and were in fact tortured for their beliefs. And they still continued to speak the same message. We have more historical evidence for this than we have for many of the historical events in history that we take for granted that are ancient events. Understandably, this one gets more scrutiny because of the level of its claims and its impact and its influence through the years. But I'll tell you why, in a nutshell, I believe these eyewitness accounts were real. And to, to share the whole story of it, uh, it probably needs to be the stuff for a series, hopefully later this year. But I'll just give it to you in a real quick nutshell here today. First of all, I want to say that to speak of uh, the Bible as just a sacred book uh, is probably not the best way to think of the Bible. And to even say things like, well, the Bible says this or the Bible says that is a little bit unfair because the Bible is not just a book. It's a collection of 66 ancient manuscripts that are all woven together, even though they have different authors, even though they have, even though they were written over the course of thousands of years, they have this interwoven common theme of God's relationship with man. The same God 
over and over again throughout 66 ancient manuscripts. All different sorts of people wrote them, and yet they all point to the same God and to the same Jesus. Not only that, but I believe also that the, the, all the books, and especially our New Testament, what's called our New Testament, that deal specifically with Jesus and explicitly with Jesus and talk about Him, they were written, I believe, before 70 A.D. And I'll tell you why I believe that and why that matters. 70 A.D. was when the Romans came and destroyed the temple tore it to the ground. That's rubble that the Roman soldiers tossed from the temple walls into the streets of Jerusalem. That may not seem like that big of a deal to us here 2,000 years later, but in 70 AD, this was a huge deal. You can't overstate what a big deal this was for Jews and early Christians. Because the temple was the place of worship for the Jews. The law of Moses was dependent upon a tabernacle, a temple. With that gone, there were no more sacrifices. There were no more priests interceding. This totally changed the face of the Jewish religion. Okay, so it's a big deal to them. Why should it be a big deal to us? Well, see, if these books had been written after 70 A.D. The Christians would have milked this event for all it was worth. I mean, do you see how, what a great tool that would be? A great, more than an illustration, to be able to say, look, the temple is gone. It's not even needed anymore because of what Jesus did for us. And now we are the temples of His Holy Spirit. And we don't need any more sacrifices at the temple. Because Jesus was the final sacrifice. I mean, that's better than you could write the script. They would have definitely included that in all the... I mean, Paul would have used that in his letters. And when he dealt with every time he went to a, a synagogue to speak to the Jews first, wouldn't he have used that? Hey, the temple's gone, guys, but you don't need it anymore. Here's the good news. I mean, that... This was a huge deal. And yet, it's not found in that way. The only words we really have about it are some prophetic words that Jesus spoke that seem to have been pointing to the fact that this was going to happen down the road. But the letters from the apostles, all of that, they don't mention it. So we believe that it was written before 70 AD. Now, why does that matter? Why does that prove that it's reliable? I heard that there was a... a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary back in the 80s that used to tell his classes that he said in the 80s uh, you guys just wait about 20-30 years and you're going to start hearing some theories float that the Holocaust never happened and they all said what? you're kidding me right? but I don't know if you noticed in the news but just in the last 5-10 to years sure enough anti-Semitic groups have started floating that theory out there that the Holocaust was just something that the Jews made up it didn't really happen. Why now? Why, why is that coming up now? Why did that professor, why was he able to say, here's what's going to happen? That's because myths like that one can't take root until 
Most of the people who saw it happen and lived through it are dead or old and senile. Uh, I mean, the people now that are left that are living survivors from the Holocaust were really young when it happened. And they're really old now. Most of the survivors that remember really what happened, that suffered through that thing, they're gone now. And so the theories have started floating out there. This 70 AD was just 35 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And there were hundreds of witnesses who we read about because the letters say there were hundreds of witnesses. Now if there weren't, there would have been people alive who knew that there weren't. And if it did happen, there were people alive who knew that it did happen. It was too early for myths to be floated out there because the witnesses, the people who lived it and experienced it and were there, were still alive. And so when people like the Apostle John write letters like this to the early church and they say, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, which is John's poetic title for Jesus. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you that what we have seen and what we have heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. When He says over and over again, we've seen this, guys. We've touched the risen body of Jesus. We sat down and we watched Him eat fish with us on the side of a lake after he had, we saw Him dead as dead could be. Yeah, I I believe Jesus died and that he rose again. And I believe it because eyewitnesses saw it, wrote down their accounts, gave their everything in defense of it, and turned the whole world upside down. And I just don't think they would have done all that if if it hadn't happened. (laughs) And so... Yes, deciding to trust in Jesus is a matter of faith. But it's not stupid faith. Right? It's faith with a reason. It's faith with a reason to hope. And so, again, I suggest to you that if it's true that Jesus resurrected, then all of his other claims and things that he said that stands to reason are probably true too. So if it's true he resurrected, then it's true he's a king. And if it's true he's a king, then it's true that there's a kingdom. And I would want to be in it. I want to be in that kingdom because the kingdom that Jesus described was a kingdom where things get set right to the way that God intended it when he created it. And before he got all messed up with the, what we call the fall of man, our decision to re- reject God as king and to be our own kings, before everything went awry, before the suffering and the grief and the pain and all that crept into our world, Jesus said his kingdom is going to set that right in the end. But it's not just about the end. His kingdom, he said, had come near even as he came. And the mark of his kingdom today exists in transformed lives. The mark of his kingdom today is on the guy that I knew who was convicted of uh, sex crimes and yet he became a family man 
who love to stand up and lead worship with us on Sunday mornings. The mark of the kingdom is in a life transformed like that. The mark of the kingdom is in a life of a woman who was abused and raped and her life was marred by that, but transformed by the grace of God into a loving, confident wife and mother. The mark of the kingdom, you can see it now in transformed lives. Those are just a couple of several examples that I've encountered in my own life. And probably if you've been around very many Christians, you've found out about the mark God's made on their life. How who they were is nothing like who they are now. That is the mark of the kingdom now. It's not just a transformation that's going to take place at the end, but a transformation that can take place in your life here and now, a real transformation that can take place. This isn't just a concept. This isn't just a, let me get out of hell in the end and get into heaven in the end. This is applicable to our lives here and now. That's what the gospel is about. Baptism is the ultimate picture of this transformed life. It's in baptism, scripture teaches us that we're buried with Christ and raised into new life. Where our old life is buried with Christ and his death. And then we're raised into a new life, a new way of living in his resurrection. That's what baptism symbolizes when we go under the water and then come back out. In another sense, we're dying to our old citizenship and raising up into a new citizenship in his kingdom. It's a beautiful picture. And I just thought on this Easter Sunday it would be worthwhile for us to remember a couple of baptisms that took place not so long ago here and of a couple of young men in our church and it's just a couple minute video I want to show you real quick. When, when I was, uh, like I said, when I was like eight years old, it was kind of because my cousin just got baptized and I'm like, yeah, she can't get baptized before me and so I wanted to get baptized like now, it means something to me when I'm gonna be up there, and uh, people are gonna be watching me. I mean, I'm gonna public public I don't know how to say the word. Um, my faith, and I'm gonna like it's just like a symbol of getting, getting saved. And so, this uh, this means more to me because well, uh, this means more to me. Aaron, is Jesus Christ the King of your life? It's my privilege to baptize you now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. young age, uh, I definitely always felt that Jesus was there for me. It's not really like a, just a snap thing, like an epiphany of, oh, Jesus. It was just always there. It was a slow process of knowing him and then kind of like fighting him, struggling with him, and 
and coming back and just feeling his love. I feel that I'm happier. There's always hope. I always know that tomorrow is going to be better than today. You accepted Christ as your king of your life. Alright, it's my privilege to baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. I want in. Don't you? Because the kingdom is the place where everything gets set right again, starting with you and I. If you want to do that today, or if you've done that recently, but you've never taken the step of, step of baptism, I want you to take that Connect card that's in the front of your seat that's got the blue border. Make sure your contact information is on the front so I can get in touch with you. And then on the back, just write the word baptism across there. And I'll contact you personally, and, and we'll talk about that, because baptism is our public act of saying that we're beginning a discipleship with Jesus. So I want to invite you to do that, or just find out more about it by writing that down, and I'll get in touch with you. And if you have any questions, we can talk about it. But I want to invite you now, as the praise team comes up, and they're going to lead us, and we're going to have a couple of songs here. Um, to take a moment to just respond to what God may be speaking into your life, either through this message, through His Word, through some of the music you heard today, or Mary Magdalene earlier, that was powerful, or maybe just what God's doing in your life right now. Maybe you've got a lot going on in your life, and you just need a minute to pray. And we want to provide you with some space to pray. So we're going to have a couple of songs. There's plenty of time for you to talk with God. And you can do that by yourself where you're at. Or you can do that by yourself at an altar. Or if you'd like to pray with someone. We want to make people available to you. And so we'll have a couple of response team members down here on this front row to your left. Who are just going to be sitting here available. And if you want to pray with one of them, come sit by them or ask them if you can go in one of these side rooms that we have chairs in uh, where you can have some privacy to just visit a little bit and pray. This may be the best chance you have all week to pray with a fellow believer who cares about what you're going through and what you're dealing with and what you're wanting to pray about. So we invite you to do that today. Pray together. God, we thank you so much for the hope we have in Jesus. Thank you so much for the eyewitnesses who boldly went forth in your spirit and started a movement that has changed the world. We want to be part of it, God, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.